Hebrews 12, 3 through 11. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is God's word. Amen. You may be seated. I've been trying to think through how to begin uh, this sermon after being away for a few weeks. And I mentioned this to my daughter the other day, and she suggested I should just pause for three seconds and then say, I'm back. (laughs) It's been quite a wild ride. I won't go into all the details, but you probably just need to know enough to understand. The initial minor surgery had some significant complications that were rather dramatically revealed uh, last Sunday morning, and I had emergency, not technically surgery, but another anesthetic, and um, they put stress on my liver, and as you know, you can't live without your liver, and um, the blood test seemed to reveal that the liver is healing, uh, but they had to go back in and put a stent into one of the ducts that had become uh, ripped through the first procedure, and that will need to be removed in January. So people ask how I feel, and the answer is I feel fine. Um, but obviously there was stuff going on under the hood that needed to be uh, uh, fixed again. On a light side of things, I was intrigued to think through what it would be like after I came out of uh, general anesthetic and what I would be talking about. You know, as you come out of anesthetic, you begin to come around and you start talking and they keep you talking. And I was intrigued, what would I be talking about? Would it be cricket? Would it be rugby? And what I heard myself talking about as I was coming out anesthetic to this poor nurse who was keeping me chatting was I was trying to persuade her to come to church. (laughs) And the first thing I heard her saying was, you're making me feel guilty for not going to church. So I was sharing the gospel with her. She said she was a Roman Catholic. I don't know who she is, but now you know that when I get hit over the head and come around, the first thing I'm going to talk about is Jesus and church. So I guess that's, that's good. Well, this morning we have a very important passage. Let me give you the sermon in a, uh, in a sentence, and then we'll get into it. So here's the sermon in a sentence. God has a personal development plan 
for all of his children, but for it to be effective, we need to subject ourselves to it that we might live. Let me give it that to you again so you can remember it and we'll reiterate it as we go through. But once again, it is this. God has a personal development plan for all his children. But for it to be effective, we need to subject ourselves to it that we might live. So the sermon this morning is all going to be about this personal development plan for all the Heavenly Father's children. Why do we need to think about this? Well, I think first of all because... Christians can become stuck, as uh, we heard last week from uh, Pastor Dan Hibben when I was listening online when I was sick at home. Uh, there is this race that we're in, and it's a race that can become entangled by uh, sin. We need to throw off sin, and Christians can become stuck in their sin, and so it's encouraging to think that God has a personal development plan for you that's rearranging all the circumstances of your life to bring you to share in His holiness and get you unstuck. But we can also become stuck in the past, and this, of course, is part of what was going on with the Hebrews as uh, the author of Hebrews is writing to them. They become stuck in this vision of Judaism, the past, and he's casting a vision of the future. That's why we're calling it a better future. So this whole section, the end of Hebrews, is all about where God is taking His people. If you look down to your uh, Bibles at chapter 11, verse 40, he says this, Since God had provided something better, that's the word better for a better future in the title of the series, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. And now he's going to describe this better future of the next uh, few chapters or, or so. And the vision culminates in chapter 13 and uh, verse 14, uh, where the author says this, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So Christians are not only people of the past. Uh, biblical Christians tend to emphasize the past. Uh, the cross, Jesus' death and resurrection. That, of course, is the central point of our faith. We tend to emphasize the truth that we need to hold on to, to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. We tend to emphasize the importance of conserving the past. And that's right. There's a doctrine, there's a truth that must be conserved uh, in the Christian life. And that's an important battle these days, to hold on to what is true. But there's also a future, and Christians are also part of the future. We have a future vision. And part of what's been on my heart for this series is to cast a vision for us as Christians of this future plan that God has, not just heaven after you die, but the whole progress that God wants for His people. The city that we are to seek, and as we're seeing this morning, this personal development plan that we might share in His holiness, He hasn't finished with us. He has a plan for you, an improvement plan to share in His holiness, an extraordinary thing. And so the future belongs to God's people. Can I get an amen? 
We are the people not just of the past, but of the future. Yes, conservative Christians are the people of the future, not the past. We seek a city that is to come. And so when we read, um, as I've been doing in the time away, catching up on some of the latest things that are going on, and you perhaps uh, caught news about how Facebook has rebranded its parent company as Meta, and there were a lot of jokes about that. Perhaps you, you caught up with some of the, 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 uh, the sort of uh, social media joking about whether that was the right word. But the reason why they chose it is because Meta is a... Um, uh, nod and a wink to this future idea that the tech people have that we're moving to web 3.0, no longer social media, no longer Twitter and Facebook, but the future, which is a metaverse, it's the term they're using, and the metaverse of the future will include things that are developing like cryptocurrency and uh, non-fungible tokens, which is a way of trading online with something that cannot be replicated but has a permanent value, and all these things that are developing, and they're not quite sure how they are developing, and they're casting a vision for a future. Well, we Christians, we have a vision of the future, and it's a better future than any that can be cast even by the most exciting technology. And part of that vision of the future is that God has a personal development plan for you if you're one of His children. So don't be stuck. But also don't be passive. Sometimes Christians can not only be stuck about um, in their sin or in the past, but they can also be passive, not really engaged in this process, to think it will just happen to them, disengaged from church, disengaged from Christianity, disengaged from their faith, disengaged from reading the Bible, disengaged from small group, disengaged from adult community, just Passive consumers of the message, passive consumers of religion, passive consumers of church. This is why it's so important to be physically present in church if you medically, physically can be. Because we are not consumers as Christians. We need to be actively engaged. This is why in the the thesis statement of the sermon that God has a personal development plan for all His children, but we, for it to be effective, need to subject ourselves to it. We need to be involved, engaged, active, thinking, passionately committed. We've got it all so much the wrong way around. We, we, We are passionately committed to our physical bodies, to our monetary accumulation, but it's so foolish to be committed to physical health, to financial health, and not be more committed to spiritual health. How foolish that would be for us as Christians, of all people, not to be actively engaged in God's personal development plan. It's, it's, it's not just going to happen to you. You need to be subject to it, put yourself under it, endure, resist sin, struggle. In the same way, if you want to be physically healthy, you need to get to the gym. You need to be actively involved. You need to put in the reps. If you want to be financially healthy, you've got to think carefully about your investments. You've got to work hard. It's not just going to happen to you, the spiritual growth. You have to be involved. 
But so often Christians are passive, but they should be engaged. But the third reason why this is so important, it seems to me, is that this therefore is exciting. Just think about it. God is your personal trainer. God is your personal tutor. He's got a development plan for all his children, including you. And that means that this thing we call the Christian life is so exciting. And so uh, God has a personal development plan for all his children, but for it to be effective, we need to subject ourselves to it. Now, where do I get that from in the text? Let me show it to you, and then we'll see how we can apply it. One of the most simple ways, this is, of course, a discourse, this text. That is, it's, uh, it's not a story. It's not poetry. It's an argument. It's a letter. It's discourse. And one way to understand the main theme of a piece of discourse, and perhaps the simplest way to understand it, is through repetition. Often authors repeat themselves so that you can understand the main theme, the same way that I'm doing now. This is a discourse, a form of verbal communication rather than written, but, the, but a sermon is a form of discourse, and I'm repeating the main theme, that God has a personal development plan for your life, but you, to be effective, you need to subject yourselves to it so that you might live. That's the main theme. And similarly here in this passage that reflects the main theme of this passage, it is revealed by Repetition. So let me show this to you. So verse 5 of chapter 12, he says this, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Or verse 6, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Or verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure, the second half of verse 7, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Verse 8, if you are left without discipline, uh, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children, not sons. Or verse 9, besides this, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. Shall we not be more subject to the Father of spirits and live? That's where we get the subject ourselves to it that we might live from the second half of verse 9. Or verse 10, for they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we might share his holiness. Or again, verse 11, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peace or fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. So obviously, the main theme of this text is somehow related to discipline. Now, the tricky part of that is when you and I hear the word discipline, we tend to think of it in only negative terms. We tend to think of it in only, uh, only as a correction. If someone says that uh, I'm going to discipline you, what it means is you've done something wrong and you're now going to be put into timeout or corrected or even punished in some kind of way. But that's not the idea of discipline here. The idea of discipline here has a broader sense of development. Yes, it can include correction, but has a broader sense 
of development. So the word is the word paideia. And paideia in the ancient world was the development plan, the education plan that a father had for his children. It was all paideia. And that the philosophy was, the thinking was, that the father was responsible to ensure that each of his children had a good paideia, a good education. They were sent off to what we would call a school. There were tutors and teachers, all for this paideia. And the end result was to train the children of the ancient world to be good citizens of the empire. So here we are, we're seeking a city that is to come and to be ready to be participants and citizens of that city, we need to have paideia, we need to be shaped, we need to be taught, we need to be trained, we need to be educated, we need to develop. There's a development plan that our Father has for us as His children to shape us, to teach us, to train us, to give us new insights, to, 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 to correct us, yes, when we're wrong, but to teach us new things. So we as a church are called College Church. There's a history about that. But as a college church, we're reflecting this biblical idea that church is a school. We're a training place. We often say that church is a hospital for the sick. That's true too. Church is uh, the body of Christ. That's true as well. Church is a temple, a place where God meets with us. That is true. There are these different pictures of what church is. But part of the biblical picture of what church is, is that it's a college. It's a school. It's a place where we learn, a place where we develop, a place where our Heavenly Father is giving His children paideia. He's training us. He's developing us. He's shaping us. He's teaching us. He's educating us. He has a development plan for us. And all that out of His loving concern that we would be fit for the city that is to come, that we would share in His holiness. It's so exciting. God has a particular desire for you to shape you to be someone who is holy. That is reflecting the beautiful, glorious person of God Himself, His character of moral purity and life-giving, ethical, transformative character for you, this paideia to shape you. And this development plan reflects then what he's been saying earlier about the race that we're to run. And, and so we heard from Pastor Dan Hibben this, this race that we're in. And so he says right at the end of chapter 11, using a slightly different picture for the same idea, he says uh, later this paideia, this discipline, yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And that idea of training is uh, gymnazo, and that is the gym. So the picture there is we're on a race, we're running, and we need to get to the gym to be trained. And our Heavenly Father is like a gymnastics coach, <laughs> and He's teaching us to be stronger and faster and healthier. He's training us. 
All this is part of his personal development plan. Or he uh, quotes from uh, the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. The book of Proverbs is uh, all designed to reflect the fatherly concern of someone giving wisdom to a son to develop into the character that they should have. And so he quotes from the book of Proverbs to emphasize this fatherly paideia, this gymnazo, this, this training, this development to make us those who share in his holiness. And he says he disciplines us, verse 10, for our good. And the word there, for our good, has a sense of bringing things together for good. What that means is all the circumstances of your life under the sovereignty of our Heavenly Father, everything good and bad, painful and pleasant, every part of your personality, every part of your history, every part of your present circumstances and the circumstances to come is being shaped, brought together for our good in this personal development plan. Nothing is random. Nothing's happenstance. You know, when I was finally uh, discharged from hospital for the second time, and I, you know the way it works, you've been in hospital, these different doctors come to you and they teach, they tell you what's going on, and finally the hospitalist who's sort of overruled the, the, uh, the different pieces that are happening, uh, she came to me and she talked through all the things that happened and she was discharging me from hospital. And I, I think I'll never forget her final phrase to me as I was uh, getting ready to go. She looked at me and said, well, you were lucky which didn't fill me with confidence. But of course, there's no such thing as luck, is there? Uh, God is shaping all these things. He's shaping your medical issues. He's shaping your mental challenges. He's shaping your emotional challenges. He's shaping the difficulties of your life. We often, in Christians' circles, only talk about the good stuff that God is shaping. No, He's using the painful things, the difficult things, to shape you and transform you into the person who will share in this holiness to be ready for the city that is to come. But... We need to subject ourselves to it that we might live. And so the author of Hebrews also emphasizes that, doesn't he? Verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against yourself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Well, how? Verse 4, in your struggle against sin. It's a struggle. That's active. It's not passive. It's a struggle. It's a fight. Energy, involved, engaged. And then he says, have you forgotten the exhortation? We need to remember the teaching of the Bible, to remember what we're learning this morning so that when you're going through something that's hard, you don't forget that the Heavenly Father is is shaping you through that circumstance. Don't forget, remember, that's active. Or he says, verse 7, it's for discipline that you have to endure. Endure is an active thing. You have to say to yourself, I'm going to stick this out. I'm going to trust. I'm not going to give up. 
I'm going to endure. I'm going to keep going. It's very active. Or as he said, uh, verse 9, shall we not much more subject, subject to the, shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? That is the Father who is shaping us spiritually and live. So God has a personal development plan for all of his children, but for it to be effective, we need to subject ourselves to it that we might live. Put ourselves under what he's doing. Say, God, I trust you. I'm going to endure. I'm in it for the long term. I'm keeping going. I believe that you're the Father who loves me and is shaping all these things in your life for your good. Uh, the, uh, the message, which is um, not a translation but a paraphrase, um, puts it well this way. Is it, is it paraphrases this passage? Let me read it out for you. The message, this picture, the paideia, the shaping of, of the father of his children, the, the gymnastics, the training, all this is what God's doing as he shapes us, and then we need to be involved in this development plan. The, the message puts it like this. It says, in this all-out match, it's a fight, a struggle, a battle, in all, this all-out match against sin, Others have suffered far worse than you to say nothing of what Jesus went through, all that bloodshed. So don't feel sorry for yourselves. So easy, isn't it, to think, oh, I'm going through such a hard time. No, think about uh, the persecuted church. <sighs> We're going through a hard time? Think about Jesus, what he went through. Don't be sorry for yourselves. Or have you forgotten how good parents treat children and that God regards you as His children? My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline. Don't be crushed by it either. It is the child He loves that He disciplines. The child He embraces, He also corrects. He's loving you to shape you. Eugene Peterson in this translation goes on, God is educating you. That's the paideia idea. It's an education. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment. It's training the normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us. So why not embrace God's training so that we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. But God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best, to share in His holiness. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off big time, for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. Well, as I say, I don't often read from the message from the pulpit, but it is a good paraphrase. It brings to life this idea, this exciting idea that you, if you're a child of the Heavenly Father, God, as your Father, is personally developing you. 
He's shaping you in all these circumstances of your life. And therefore, the, the call of the passage is to subject yourselves to it that you might live and share in His wholeness and have God's holy best for you. Well, you say, how do I, how do, I do that? Let me give you uh, three ways to do that as, uh, as, we, uh, as we come uh, to the end. Uh, first of all, be subject to Him. God has a personal development plan for all His children, but not for those who are not His children. Are you a child of the Heavenly Father? Have you subjected yourselves to His will? It's not the same thing as having a notional mental assent to the truth of Christianity. This is a personal subjection to the Father as your God, your King, your Lord. Have you subjected yourselves to Him? If you're not one of His children, He does not have a personal development plan for you. That's the great lie of the religions, uh, the religious uh, philosophy today, that, that God is shaping everyone and that everyone will be fine in the end. Now, that's not true. Only for those who put their faith in Jesus, only for them who are children of the Heavenly Father, only for them is there a city that is to come that we can seek. Only for them is there God's holy best. Are you actually a child? of the Heavenly Father. Don't let this moment escape you. Think, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll wait another week. I'll, I'll think about it. I'll, I'll, I'll consider whether really... I... God has a personal development plan if, if you are a child of the Heavenly Father. Are you? Have you subjected yourselves to Him? And if not, will you do so today? Lord, I want to be your child. I want to follow you as my heavenly Father. That's all you need to say. And God, by His Spirit, works in your heart as you make that confession to transform you to be one of His children. Don't delay. Become a part of the family of God. Have you subjected yourself to Him but then second tool to subject ourselves to this development plan is to subject ourselves to his family. Western Christianity, if there is a great heresy of Western Christianity, it is individualism. We tend to think it's me and my God. And then when I come to church, if I do come to church, I am consuming what is an offer. That is a whole worldview, and it is absolutely and totally antithetical to the biblical worldview of what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian necessarily involves being part of the family of God. God rescued a people. He didn't just rescue individuals. He is a heavenly father of a family. 
And we, as a local church, are one expression of that family of God. And therefore, to be a Christian means to subject yourselves to the family, uh, to serve, to be involved, become a member of the church, to get baptized, to follow the leadership of the church, not if they're doing something immoral and heretical, of course not, but out of graciousness and kindness, to submit yourself to the leadership of the church, to submit yourself to one another, as the Bible says, out of reverence for Christ. I don't understand why he's doing that. I'm not sure I agree, but I, as a fellow Christian, as a brother or sister of this other Christian, I'm, I'm going to accept that it seems in his conscience what within biblical norms he's doing, and I'm going to accept it. I'm not going to judge him. I'm going to forgive when I've been hurt. We become part of the family. Have you subjected yourself not only to God individually, but also to be a part of the family of God? This school, this college church where we discover Jesus, grow in our faith, and impact the world, this is a necessary part of God's development plan. The idea that we come to church to consume, to hear some nice music, to listen to a sermon, to have some good coffee, to meet up with our friends, that's, that's minuscule compared to the majestic vision of what church is. You're part of the family of God. These are your brothers and sisters. And we are His family. But it requires you to subject yourselves to it, to be a part of it, to commit to it, to become a member, to be baptized, to serve, to turn up physically if you're physically able to do. Obviously, live stream is a wonderful thing. When I was out sick, I was able to participate by live stream. That's great. It's a wonderful mission field. But to be a part of the church physically, to be here to turn up to this celebration event on a Sunday morning of the family of God. Well then, finally, the final tool I'm going to give to you is that uh, we are to subject ourselves to it even when it doesn't seem pleasant. Look at how he concludes uh, verse 11, for all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's not typically the way you want to end a sermon is by thinking about something painful. But pain typically makes us run in the other direction. I have a new insight into pain. I'm not in any kind of pain now whatsoever, mercifully. I feel fine now. But for some time, and repeatedly, I was in significant physical pain. And pain clouds your thinking. You go into survival mode. You're you, it's hard for you to process much more than this hurts. And this training program of God's sometimes can seem a little painful. You go to the gym, you start working out on the weights. If you want to get bigger and stronger, it's going to hurt. Not so much that you rip your muscle or strain something badly, but no pain, no gain. 
You go to a school and you're teaching, sometimes it's, and you're learning from the teacher, sometimes it's hard work. It's like, I've got to really wrestle with this. I can't stand this mathematics, but if I'm going to learn it, I've got to, similarly with a Christian life, you've got, you, you've got to work at it. Sometimes it's sweat, hard work. But there's a harvest. Peaceful righteousness to share in His holiness. A better future a city that is to come, this personal development plan, the paideia, the gymnazo, that God as a heavenly Father has for each and every single one of His children. And what we need to do is subject ourselves to it. Trust Him. Our Lord God, we pray that You would help us to do so this morning and in an ongoing way. And we thank You for your heavenly, fatherly love to train us. In Jesus' name, amen.